Hello, my friends. The 49 processes have stood the test of time. Still very relevant on the PMP and the CAPM. And this beat up PMBOK guide of mine is a testament to the fact that they're still going strong. Let's take a look at all 49 very rapidly. The first one is develop project charter. And this is where we get a project charter and an assumption log. Our main goal is to develop that project charter to give us some background, some understanding, and most importantly, it authorizes the project. The second thing that we do in integration is we develop a project management plan and develop project management plan gives us this assembly of all the plans, the baselines, all of those components are talked about on page 89 of the sixth edition. The next thing in integration is deliverables coming out from direct and managed project work. The main thing we're doing here is we're executing the work. So we're definitely gonna get deliverables, WPD and the issue log. The next process in integration is the one known as managed project knowledge. This is where we're managing the flow of knowledge within the project. We're gonna get the lessons learned register out. And what you need to remember is our main goal is to ensure that communications about the lessons that are learned flows throughout the organization. It's not just for the project. The next thing that happens in integration is monitor and control project work. This is where we're going to get work performance reports as an output. The work performance reports take all the WPI, work performance information, puts it all together, chunks it all together, and takes the most relevant pieces that needs to be communicated to stakeholders. The next thing we have here is PICC performing a great change control. This is where the CCB approves or rejects change requests. The outcomes of change request reviews are documented in the change log. So we have right in here in our project documents updates, a change log, but we also have approved change requests, which is our major output. We use these change control tools to get clarity. Finally, we have our closed project or phase process. This is where we're closing out a phase or the project as a whole. We are transitioning the deliverable to the customer and carrying out a final lessons learned for a phase or project as a whole. And you can see we have a final product service or result transition, and we have a final report. And that is pretty much what you do in the aspect of integration management. It's that simple. Now, I see a lot of people getting carried away with the tools and techniques, with the inputs, honestly, the inputs don't get carried away with cramming this stuff. It's not worth it. What you need is an overall view. As quickly as I went through it with you about integration and then the major outputs, not every single output, but the major outputs, that's what I would advise, all right? So if you've been spending time trying to cram everything, highly, highly discourage it, okay? Of course, at a high level, anyone studying for this exam needs to know initiating, planning, executing, monitoring, and controlling, and closing. That's a given. Anyone studying for this exam has got to understand the flow of WPD becoming WPI becoming WPR, right? Just knowing that flow is going to help you, all right? So if you haven't spent time, understand that direct-to-managed project work gives you this, and then this goes to all of these monitoring and controlling processes, which give you work performance information. That goes into monitoring control project work. It gets whittled down into a WPR, and that goes into a number of places down below here, performing a great change control, manage team, 
manage communication, monitor risk. No one's going to ask you this rote on your PMP exam. That's for sure. For CAPM, uh, before the exam changes in 2023, yes, perhaps. But this is just good understanding, good knowledge. Data becomes information, becomes reports. All right. Moving on to scope. We plan scope management. We get a scope management plan and a requirements management plan that guide us on how to carry out those functions. Then we collect requirements. We have all manner of tools and techniques, interviews, focus groups, facilitated workshops, questionnaires, surveys, context diagrams, and many more that are buried in all these data gathering, data analysis, and so on. But you need to understand what you're getting is your requirements documentation, and you're getting your requirements traceability matrix, your RTM. The next thing that happens is we define scope. The big ticket item from here is your project scope statement. Your project scope statement, you got to remember, it has inclusions, exclusions, your detailed deliverable description, and the acceptance criteria. In the world of traditional, when we say acceptance criteria, we're talking about the deliverable. So keep that in mind. So this is really important, it's pivotal to your understanding about scope management. Now in scope management, we have the WBS, you gotta understand the different pieces of the WBS, the root node, the control account, the work package, all of these are defined in the PMBOK guide, so spend some time there. Little nuances like the planning packages and what it means to have rolling wave planning, that is something else to focus on, all right? And then we get into validate scope. Validate scope is where we get accepted deliverables as an output. And last but not least, we have control scope. Now, for those folks who are wondering, but Phil, you didn't show the create WBS. Well, let's go to create WBS really quickly. As far as the major output, it's your scope baseline. You got to remember that your scope baseline has got three things. It's got your WBS, it's got your WBS dictionary, and it's got your project scope statement. All right. And that's pretty much it for scope. Now, going into schedule, Schedule has got six processes in it. So very quickly, the first one is plan schedule management. We get our schedule management plan, which guides us on how to manage the schedule. Then we have defined activities. We have three major things, activity list, activity attributes, and a milestone list. Then we move on to our next one, which is sequence activities. We use PDM, dependency determination and integration. You got to know these definitions. So I'm going through them pretty quick, but you got to remember the relationship types. You got four relationship types finish to finish, start to start, start to finish, finish to start. You got to know all of those. And you also need to know the dependency determination and integration. So you got to remember you got external dependencies, internal dependencies. You got to remember that you got mandatory, discretionary. You got to remember the other words for it, like mandatory, call it hard logic. Discretionary, call it soft logic. You got to know all those little nuances. Then we move into estimate activity durations. You got your duration estimates. And wherever you have estimates, remember you get your BOEs. For your exam as a whole, you got to understand all of these estimating approaches. So analogous is from the word analogy. You're using the history as a basis for what you're estimating. It's not in a lot of detail. It's very loosey-goosey and not as accurate. Then you've got parametric, which uses a parameter or an algorithm to estimate. You've got three-point estimating, which uses a pessimistic, the optimistic, and the most likely. So for the beta distribution, you've got P plus 4M plus O divided by 6. For the triangular distribution, you've got just a casual P plus O plus M divided by 3. You've got to remember that. And bottom up, 
is going all the way down to granular levels, rolling that up. This is going to help you across the different knowledge areas for your exam. Okay. And then we have developed schedule. This is where you are putting everything together. This is where you look at your schedule network analysis, which is a potpourri of different analyses that you use. We have the critical path method, which is understanding the longest path, which shows you the shortest time in which you can complete the project. We have resource optimization, resource leveling, resource smoothing. You got to understand that smoothing does not affect the critical path, but leveling could. You also need to understand that when we are doing our resource smoothing, we're only going to be working with those allowances that do not affect the critical path, like where there's allowable leads and the slack and float, that kind of thing. Slack is float. So just understand the differences between the resource leveling and smoothing. Leveling could be very bad. Those of you who use MS Project, you know that little button for leveling. You don't want to use that because it could mess up your entire schedule. Then we have leads and lags. Deliberately starting an activity earlier is leads. Lags is deliberately delaying an activity. Then we have schedule compression. You compress the schedule in two ways. You can either do fast tracking, things that should have been done in parallel. You're now doing them, uh, things that should have done sequentially, you're now doing them in parallel. So there's a difference between doing things normally and then accelerating them by doing them in parallel, but that could lead to additional risk, could also lead to maybe at the end of the day, spending even more money. So beware of that. And then the other one is crashing where you add resources to a task. And another example of crashing in the PMBOK guide is when you are paying to expedite a part, when you're paying anything to do with the payment of funds to expedite a path, for delivery to something on the critical path that is also known as crashing. So know the little nuances. And as far as the outputs, the schedule baseline is etched in stone, the project schedule. That's what the project manager is updating on a daily basis. The scheduled data is a data in the schedule. And finally, in the area of schedule, we have control schedule. Your major unique output is schedule forecast. A lot of students struggle with understanding that forecasts are not just done in uh, the beginning. They're not done in the beginning. When we say forecast, a forecast has to be done from a point in time when the project is actually activated. So from point X along the timeline, not at the beginning. This is the project is progressing based on the current performance. What do you think our cost outcome is going to be? Or what do you think our schedule outcome is going to be? And that's what schedule forecast is. What do you think our schedule outcome will be? And that's why we try to forecast the schedule by looking at metrics like the SPI and so on. And that is pretty much it. As far as critical path, I haven't heard many students talk about critical path in a long time. Now, believe it or not, on the CAPM, I've actually heard more people talk about critical path in recent times than on the PMP exam, but it's not a bad one for you to understand, okay? So what I've been doing so far is going through integration, scope, and schedule. We still have a long way to go. We still have more to go, but I want to know if this is of help to you. If you're finding this to be helpful, I need you to smash that like button, and I need you to put some information here like, Phil, give us more, give us more. I'll create a second episode of this. But for now, the other things I want you to remember are the nuances in schedule management since it's such a beast. You got to remember that there's a difference between the WBS elements versus activities, right? Define activities is breaking down the WBS into 
activities. You also need to remember these four that I talked about, the different relationship types. Make sure you've got a firm grasp on that. It's going to help you. This whole thing about forward pass and backward pass, I used to teach this in a lot of detail. I found very little value uh, in terms of exam doing it. And honestly, for people who work as project managers in the real world, I honestly don't find them having to do forward and backward passes because Microsoft Project and P6, it does it for you. So I wouldn't sweat that. So moving on to cost management. Cost management is not as beastly in the first three processes. The first three processes that you encounter, you got plan cost management, and this is where you get your cost management plan. You're developing a plan for how to determine and manage the budget, uh, manage the budget. And then we have the actual uh, estimate costs where you're now estimating each of the line items. We use those four estimating approaches we looked at. You've got cost estimates, BOEs, other stuff in there. And then we get to determine budget. So this is where you are coming out with a cost baseline. You know, and when it comes to the cost baseline, you've got to understand management reserves are not part of the cost baseline. You've got to remember that. The contingency reserves are. Understand that little nuance there in, in the PMBOK guide. It might help. Cost aggregation is summing up all of the costs for the individual tasks. And then you come out with your cost baseline. Funding limit reconciliation is how much uh, is the amount allowable in a particular time period you got to reconcile that with the budget that you have made. If there's a disconnect between the budget and the limits, like in some organizations, they restrict spending for different reasons. If there's a disconnect, you need to make sure that your budget, your budget amount for each time period aligns with whatever funding limit there is. I think I have a video on that where I go into more detail on YouTube. All right. And last but not least, we have control costs. This is where earned value lives under data analysis. It looks very innocent like this until you look under the hood and you see EVM. As far as EVM is concerned, you've got to remember the formulas. The formulas are your friend. Like those formulas, the SPI, the CPI, the CV, the SV, you've got to know those. And I'll just show you the most important ones. You've got to know your SPI. They all start with EV, right? Earned value divided by plan value. That's the first one. And then... SV has the same variables. This time it's a subtraction. So you've got to understand that as well. Then we have the CPI, the cost performance index, earned value divided by actual cost. And then we have the final one, which is the cost variance. And cost variance has the same variables, but it's subtraction. So they all start with EV. They all start with EV. There are a few more which I do not recommend memorizing these because it would be a waste of time. But we have the very advanced EAC. Don't cram this. You will not need it on the exam. We have the simple EAC. Again, I haven't heard anyone crying about this formula in almost three years. I wouldn't recommend cramming it. We have the very simple EAC, BAC divided by CPI. It's not a bad one for project managers to know for the real world. You're just dividing your budget by the cost performance. It makes sense to know this for real-world practice. And then we have the EAC, which is a little bit simplified. It just makes sense. The estimate at completion is going to be your actual cost plus your estimate to complete. But again, I haven't had people crying about these formulas in years. 
So I would say, don't sweat the small stuff. Let's move on to quality. Quality is very straightforward. There's three things. One, you plan quality management. You're gonna come up with a quality management plan and quality metrics. The main thing is developing a plan for how to manage quality and improve project processes. It's that simple. Then we move into managing quality. This is where we are checking the process. We have quality reports that could come out. We have TED, test and evaluation documents. Some of the notable tools and techniques are your design for X and audits. Again, you are checking the process, not the product, the process. And finally, we have control quality. And this is where you have verified deliverables coming out. We have quality control measurements. We do our inspection. That's what we're doing. We're doing our inspection as the performing organization. So you've got to keep that in mind. There are many different tools and techniques you can have from this area, affinity diagrams, flowcharts, which need no introduction, um, cause and effect diagrams, histograms, uh, matrix diagrams. If you've ever used Excel, then you've definitely used those. Scatter diagrams, which show you if there's a relationship between the variables, which in this case there is. Control charts, you've got to know your rule of seven. If you haven't heard of that, know your rule of seven. It could be helpful. And in addition to that, we have just a few more. Know your Six Sigma. No Six Sigma is 99.9997% over there. Uh, so know the differences. Little subtleties. Sometimes people mix up Five Sigma with Six Sigma. Don't mix it up. That could be very helpful on your exam. And then we move into resources. Okay, so what are we doing in resource management? We've got six things to talk about. We're going to move through them very quick. Number one. You get a resource management plan, right? That's plan resource management. You get a team charter, and this helps you start off on a very good footing. And then you move into estimate activity resources. You use some of those estimating approaches. You come out with your resource requirements. You come out with your BOE. We also have a resource breakdown structure here. And then we get into acquiring our resources, human equipment, material supplies, facilities, and so on. You can see we have pre-assignment where we assign people in advance. We use the concept of virtual teams, but the bottom line is we're going to have physical resource assignments and project team assignments. We are going to assign physical resources. We're going to assign team members, and we're going to have resource calendars which show us the working time for these resources. Then we're going to move in to develop the team, the humans. This is all about the humans. We could co-locate them. We could use a concept of virtual teams, communication technology to build a team. We must have interpersonal person on team skills. We could use recognition and rewards training, meetings. The concept is getting the team to synergize, getting them to that next level. The major output is team performance assessments. We could also have a bunch of other things, but those are not notable outputs. Let's take a look at manage team. This is really code for leadership. When you hear manage team, it's really all about an inside leadership job. And the outputs that you get are not very obvious because they're all repetitions. But what you're gleaning from this is you're giving the team feedback and you're helping them develop as a unit, not just developing them a one time in developed team, but this is giving them feedback and helping them grow and helping steer them in the right direction. And I know it's called manage team, but it's really leading the team. It's guiding the team to succeed as a unit. And one of the things you should be aware of here, both with developed team and manage team you got to be aware of the five stages of team development. You also need to be aware of conflict resolution approaches because that could help you as you manage the team. Last but not least, we've got control resources. And this is where we get WPI, 
as an output, just like all the other controlling processes that are outside of integration, we have problem solving to solve problems that relate to physical resources. So you can see it says ensuring project resources, physical resources. This is not talking about people. So don't mistake this for managed team. This is about the physical resources and we are ensuring that they were made available and they were used as they were supposed to have been. Now we have communications again. We have this time communicating in the communications knowledge area. And there are three things that we do. We plan communications management. It's this. We plan how are we going to communicate? What are we going to communicate? Why and when? I call it the five W's. The what, when, where, who, why, and how of communicating. What, when, where, who, why, how. And you create this plan that guides you on communications. You should also be aware of the communication requirements analysis. We've got a little formula in there. It's not used a lot on the exam anymore, but you should know the formula for communication channels. Check out the Praiseon channel because I have a video about that there. Don't think it will come out on the exam, but it's just good knowledge to know that the more people you add to a communication scenario, there's a geometric progression as far as the communications. You now have so many communications. So sometimes you need to cordon off the communications and streamline it. It's all part of planning. Communication models, sender-receiver models. I know you must have seen this one, right? Sender-receiver models. You've got a sender encoding a message, sending it to a receiver. The receiver decodes the message. It travels, breaks through noise, goes through a medium, and then the receiver can send back a feedback message back to the sender to assure the sender that the message was understood. And then we move into our managed communications process. This is where we generate project communications. We are communicating with the stakeholders, sending out reports and all that kind of stuff. We're customizing reports as well. So project reporting is where we talk about ad hoc reports. Goes into monitor communications. Note the word is monitor, not control. Why is that? Because the PMI is sensitive not to use the word control, where people are focused. So things like communications, stakeholder, you can see it says monitor stakeholder engagement, monitor communications, and risk. You can't control risk. It would be nice, but you can't. You can't control risk. So we use the word monitor. It's a softer word. Three times in monitoring and controlling, you have the word monitor being used. And that's communications for you. You plan, you manage, you monitor. Now we're going over to one of the huge beasts on the exam. It's the behemoth. It's risk. Risk is very significant because it touches every area. You can have cost risk, schedule risk, scope risk, procurement risk, everything risk. So it starts off with a risk management plan. You definitely want to include your stakeholders. So we have our stakeholder register as something we need to have coming in here. And we're going to end up having a risk management plan where we have planned how to manage risks, the frequency of the risk meetings, who needs to be involved, and so on. Then we go into identifying the risks. We identify the risks, and we document them in a risk register. You've got to remember the cause, risk, and effect model is what you want to model because the PMI espouses this. You could also get a risk report as an output. Remember, it's the state of the union address for risk on the project, the high-level stuff, not the minutia. We don't want to go into the minutia, except the lower level risks are so detrimental. 
then we want to include them in there. But we always want to summarize stuff as much as possible. And then we have prompt lists, which help prompt us to identify risks on the project. Then we get into qualitative. The difference between qualitative and quantitative is qualitative gives you a risk score. Quantitative gives you EMV, expected monetary value. When we talk about the qualitative risk analysis, you've got to remember it's more of a categorization. You're categorizing the risks, you are scoring the risks, and then you're going to rank them. And when you're done ranking them on that first go round, you then take a look at other qualities of the risk. You take a look at the manageability, you take a look at the propinquity, you take a look at the dormancy, the proximity, all those things talked about, you can then look at those as well, not just probability and impact. That's for the layman. You want to go to the next level, talk about urgency and some other qualities of risk. When you're done with qualitative, that's when you go into quantitative. And be aware that PMI say quantitative is optional. You don't have to do quantitative. It's optional in project management. But if you do, make sure you do it well. To find out how to do it well, to get an idea, I want to advise you, check out this website. I kind of like it. I used to go to that website when I was young in the, the world of PMI, just trying to know what a Monte Carlo was. It's called Palisade, P-A-L-I-S-A-D-E. They've now been bought, but the palisade.com should still lead you to the website. Check it out. You'll thank me later, especially if you find yourself going to World of Monte Carlos. They've got some very good add-ons to the likes of Excel, Microsoft Project. So this is quantitative. It's optional. A lot of companies don't do it because they can't even do it well. A lot of companies, they don't do it because dollar signs make them nervous. From here, you're going to find the EMV, expected monetary value, which is in currency which is why a lot of people run away from it. And then you're going to reprioritize risks based on the EMV. There's a whole story behind that that I won't go into today, but just look for any of my other videos where I show you the detailed breakdown of a risk register and how you can have the probability rating in percent, the impact in dollars, you multiply them, you get the EMV. This is where we also talk about decision tree analysis. All right, let's move on. Plan risk responses. This is our next one. We are planning how to respond to risks. you got to understand the strategies for threats. you got to understand the strategies for opportunities. And for that, we'll go over to the whiteboard for just a quick second. I want to remind you of two mnemonics. The first mnemonic is A-Team. What does this stand for? Avoid, transfer, escalate, accept, mitigate. Those are your five approaches to negative. This is negative, negative risks or threats, they call them, right? Keep that in mind. Then we talk about positive risks or opportunities. I have a mnemonic for this. So the first one was A-team, right? A-team, remember Mr. T and the A-team, don't forget that. And then the next one is for positive and it's easy, a play on words, E-A-S-double-E. -E. So the first one is escalate. Everyone knows escalate and everyone knows accept, right? And then we have share and then we have exploit, which is where we are very aggressive in pursuing that positive risk. We take that probability to 100 and then we have enhance. And enhance is where you are increasing the probability or impact of a positive risk, but it's not as aggressive as exploit. And that's it. You'll find more videos on the channel, my friend. Just look around. 
There's over 3,000 of them. So that right there is what you get out of plan risk responses. It's really just updating what you already have, but you're updating the risk register, which becomes in a way a risk response plan to document all the intricacies of the risk responses, the name of the risk owner, the risk action owner, all that stuff. And then we get into implement the risk responses. This is where you're carrying out the responses. You're updating the responses, uh, whether they were successful or not, what happened and all that stuff. You update that. You need interpersonal skills because you need great leadership skills to influence people. So influence is one of the ways you spur people to action. Finally, we get to monitor risk. Again, there's nothing really unique as an output from this, but there's something interesting. You've got the two W's here. This is one of the rare appearances of all the W's, work performance data, work performance reports, and work performance information for those PMBOK geeks. It's not exam material, but it's just fascinating to see. And ultimately, you have audits. Risk audits are where you're checking to see if your responses and your approach is working or not. And that's monitor risk. You've got to keep monitoring your risks. If you find a new risk, it's here in monitor risk. You find a new risk, and then you document it in the risk register. And that's it for risk. And next, we're moving on to the area of procurement. It would be wrong for us not to tackle procurement. In fact, why don't we just do everything? You thank your buddy Phil later. But I want you to, first of all, thank me with a like on this video. Smash the like button, my friends. Share it with your other friends. Too many people struggling on this exam. I just want to help you to comb through the monster, the behemoth, because I know a lot of you have been pummeled by the behemoths daily. No, no, no. We're going to put a stop to that. So I want you to bookmark this video. And I want you to watch it daily until you're up to speed, until you can anticipate what is your buddy Phil going to say next. All right, we move into procurement management. You've got seven unique outputs in this place. Three of them start with procurement, procurement management plan, procurement strategy, procurement statement of work. And your mission, you're deciding how to effectively manage procurement and contracting, okay? That's your goal right here. You're gonna have source selection analysis as a tool and technique, but ultimately you wanna make a make or buy decision. Are we gonna make it ourselves? Or are we gonna buy it? Also, we have ICE, independent cost estimates where you get a third party to estimate how much of this thing cost. And then you can measure that up when you begin to get the proposals in, in the next process, conduct procurements. Because you are going to get proposals. You are going to get seller proposals coming in, and those need to be analyzed using your data analysis. You can have bidder conferences to answer questions. You use advertising to send out those documents, so RFPs, IFNs, RFPs, all of those bid documents, you got to advertise them. Then you can get your seller proposals. Then you could negotiate with great interpersonal team skills. And then you're going to get selected sellers, agreements, and life is good, right? Uh, wrong if you made the wrong choice. Hopefully you didn't. You made the right choice. You're going to get into control procurement. And ultimately, you could have claims administration. Beware of that, the administration of claims. So if any of the parties in the contract raises a claim and says, I've been untreated fairly, I didn't get what I put in the contract. Well, you want to use mediation or worst case arbitration, hopefully not litigation. So go read up ADR, alternative dispute resolution. It's all that stuff. And then the major thing, you get close procurements, which means you did arrive at a successful completion of the procurement 
but you also have the agreements that you need to use coming in here. You can have a proof change request for you to get something done differently than what the vendor did. And that takes us, my friends, to our final one. You have been troopers. You've done so well. I want you to give yourself a huge round of applause if you have stayed to the end <laughs> of this video. It shows me you're hungry to kill this beast and kill the beast and eat the beast. <laughs> you will. I, I am telling you, you're going to eat that beast. So this is the final one in the behemoth. It's the stakeholder management area. It's going to go very quickly. Whenever you look at stuff, my friends, try to put it in a matrix like this in your head. Go through the commonalities. Don't cram. Cramming is never helpful. Go through the commonalities and say, okay, do I get the gist, the project charter, project management plan? There's a repetition. Good. Okay. Tools and techniques. Does any one of them stick out? If any one of them sticks out, like ground rules, that sticks out. You want to know, okay, which ground rules? What are ground rules? And understand what they are, right? Group norms and all that stuff that exists in the team charter, team contract, right? And then we have the outputs. The outputs, stakeholder register. You can see, already see, stakeholder register is an output, stakeholder engagement plan. You very quickly see, boom, boom, there are only two unique outputs. Everything else is gravy. So it helps you coming into this process of stakeholder management, what exactly you should be expecting. So first one, identify stakeholders. Major thing is your stakeholder register. You're creating a stakeholder register, right? The second thing that happens here, oh, and let me just break this down once and for all because I, I really haven't gone in here. So each of these data gathering, data analysis, data representation, you know that when you look under the hood, you know there's more. I just haven't been showing you more. But right here, you can see examples, questions and surveys, brainstorming, stakeholder analysis, all that stuff. So do look under the hood, not to cram, but to understand what each tool and technique truly is and what it's doing for you as a project manager. Another example here is going into plan stakeholder engagement. We use this SEAM, S-E-A-M, Stakeholder Engagement Assessment Matrix, C for current, D for desired. I have a stakeholder who's currently unaware, they're so clueless, asking me same questions every meeting. How do I get them to be more supportive? It's a mindset that your team needs to have to collaborate, to decide, okay, this is how we can move our stakeholder from unaware to supportive. Oh, our stakeholder is right where we want them. D, desired, C for current. They're in the lead-in position. That's where we want them. That needs to be the mindset, okay? Now, going into plan stakeholder engagement proper, the major output, the stakeholder engagement plan. It's that simple. Then we get into the next one, which is manage stakeholder engagement. And this, uh-oh, there's nothing unique. So what exactly are we doing here? Well, we're managing stakeholder engagement and keeping our stakeholder engaged by communicating with them and working with them. You got to communicate with the stakeholder. You got to work with the stakeholder. You got to keep them engaged at the right level. Different stakeholders need different levels of engagement. So just keep that in mind. All right, moving on to monitor stakeholder engagement, my friends. What we're doing here, again, we don't see any unique output, but we are monitoring our stakeholder engagement while taking any necessary corrective action. One of the great ways of knowing how well you've done here is by saying, hmm, you might fill in this survey. What would you give us for a net promoter score? If you're gonna recommend us on a scale of one to 10, what is the likelihood that you would recommend us? And if all you're hearing is crickets or you're seeing a zero, 
it's not good. Probably means uh, the stakeholder won't recommend you and therefore you need to do better. That's what it means. Now, another question I get from people is, Phil, okay, you've gone through sixth edition stuff. Um, I'm a little bit nervous because I haven't opened up that other book. Which other book? The seventh edition. So what do I recommend for the seventh edition is what people ask me. Well, what I recommend that you do is you know the principles that the PMI talk about in the seventh edition, because as far as the sixth edition is concerned, we are done right now, my friend. We're done with the sixth edition. So I, I hope you found that to be helpful and valuable. Right now, we're moving into a little bit of information about uh, the principles of project management and the code of ethics. So this is just a very quick reminder. If you have not studied the PMI code of ethics and professional conduct, I need you to do that. So let's refresh. There's the address, right? Just Google it, you'll find it. But it's all about understanding what this document is for at a high level. That's chapter one. Chapter two is about understanding responsibility and accountability. Chapter three is about understanding respect. Chapter four is about fairness. And five is about being honest, okay? You need this. Absolutely need this for your exam. Please know this cold for your exam. Then moving into the different principles, the 12 principles of project management as created by PMI. Again, I want to alert you to a document that's out there. It's free. I'm going to show it on the screen. There's the long address. Just do a search, PMI 12 Principles of Project Management, and it takes you to the narrative for each one. So stewardship. Let's make it small enough. It says stewards are responsible to carry out activities with integrity, care, and trustworthiness. What about team? Project teams are made up of individuals who wield diverse skills, knowledge, and experience. Project teams that work collaboratively can accomplish a shared objective. So that's the team principle, right? And all you need to do is scroll down and read the details. Then we have stakeholders, the concept of stakeholder, concept of value, systems thinking, leadership, tailoring, quality, complexity, risk, adaptability and resiliency and change. If you haven't watched my video on the 12 principles, very short, very short video, look on YouTube and you'll be able to do that, okay? Honestly, my friends, that is it as far as the predictive components, okay? Something I want to call your attention to is the way PMI poses questions. So I'm gonna show you a few examples from the PMI archives. This is a question, classic, written by PMI. Now, I'm not showing you the question because I'm going to ask you to answer it. I want you to see the structure. It is not a long question, but in the answers, each of the answers has two options. This is a lot of reading for one minute, 15 seconds, my friend. So you've got to get good with reading quick. Here's another one. Three lines, two lines apiece for the answers. So you've got to get good with reading quick. See what I'm saying? Here's another one. Five lines long, 
single answer. So in cases where you have short questions, you may very well have long options. Be aware of that. Here's another example. Two lines, not significantly long for option A, not insurmountable. Sometimes you're going to get gimmies that are just like free questions. I just felt sorry for you. Hey, PMP to B, take that free. <laughs> no need to pay now. We'll get you in another question, right? But jokes apart, you got to get good with being quick. You can see the examples I'm showing you. Some of them are pretty short, but some of them could take a good chunk of time, okay? So my friend, at that high level, we are done with the predictive pieces. All I ask is watch my video on the PMBOK mainline where I take you through a map of how all of this stuff maps together. You got the project charter used to develop the stakeholder register, used to develop the project management plan, which feeds direct and managed project work where you get a deliverable that goes into control quality, where the project management plan is fed into, by the way. You get verified deliverables coming out of control quality. That goes to validate scope where we get accepted deliverables. That goes to close project or phase where we have a final product service or result transition or final report. But don't forget the project management plan feeds a boatload of places. In fact, everywhere except two places. The project management plan doesn't go to develop project charter or develop project management plan. But in all of these non-integration monitoring and controlling processes, we get change requests, right? Change requests come from a boatload of places. And I haven't even mentioned all of them. I'm just showing you for context. It goes to perform integrated change control. We have monitor and control project work that has an interrelationship with performing integrated change control in that work performance reports goes in there. We can see work performance information goes into monitor and control project work and becomes work performance reports. We can also see this statement about the project management plan, about all the places it goes. So you don't have to keep cramming this thing. It goes everywhere except two places. And then I'm also showing you the big old main line of WPD that feeds all non-integration monitoring and controlling processes. I'm also showing you here that managed project knowledge has an input into it that is deliverable because we can learn lessons from our deliverable. That's it for the predictive component. I've shown you everything there is. What you need to work on now is logic. And I'm gonna put links to some mock exams below that if you wanna test your firepower on our mock exams, they're available to you. Test your firepower, see where you stand, take them a couple of times until you get to perfection. You're gonna do great, but now, we need to talk about the other piece. And the other piece of the exam, as you know, is agile and hybrid, right? So I want you to go to the website, agilemanifesto.org, because this is what is going to form the basis for your agile understanding. Look for my videos where I comb through the agile manifesto in a lot of detail. I cover the values, I cover the principles. I'm gonna put a link to all of that stuff below 
so that you feel more confident in your journey, okay? Also remember, you got to get good with Scrum. So if you haven't studied Scrum, I would advise you to do that. There are a lot of resources, both online and other places that can help you better understand Scrum. The Scrum Alliance, they got content out there. Ken Schwaber has his website, scrum.org, where you can take Scrum open assessments to get good in Scrum. I highly advise it. And I'll show it to you here if you go to scrum.org, because I've gotten various certifications from Ken's company, top-notch stuff. That is the source of Scrum. He's one of the co-creators. Why wouldn't you go to his site? So let's click on certification, professional Scrum master. We want to look for the open assessments, open assessments. Let's look for the open assessments. Let's click on PSM1 and see if it leads us there. So this is certification. And let's click on, it says uh, prepare. Let's see what we have here in prepare. And uh, we have some open assessments. The open assessments right there, Scrum open assessments. You click on that, you get to this page, you click on start assessment, boom, 30 questions, 30 minutes, totally free. This is the real G because it's for free. My goodness. You know how much you could be charging for this, but it's free. And this will really get you to optimum in the world of Scrum. I highly advise going to his website. And after you get certified, I highly advise taking the PSM, taking the PSBO, taking the PAL, go for it. You really benefit from it. And there you have it, my friends. We went all in, we killed that thing, killed the beast. And now the ball is in your court. Thank you very much. Again, don't forget to like, subscribe, share with your friends, and I'll see you on another adventure, hopefully very soon. Bye for now.